Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. And hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you again for letting us be part of your day. Here's what we're going to be talking about. We have uh, new results, published results from the fourth quarter agricultural credit condition survey from the Minneapolis Fed. We will talk with their regional outreach director and go over that information and what uh, they found in the fourth quarter as we take a look at the ag credit situation. Also coming up, uh, more on the markets with Arlen Suderman with Stone X, and we'll take a look at the uh, the propane supply and price situation here as we are in this uh, stretch of very cold weather. We'll talk it over with Michael Newland with the Propane Education and Research Council later on in today's program. All right, we're going to start things off looking at some uh, activity in the House Ag Committee. Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report joins us. And Jerry, thanks for being with us. Democrats pushed through an ag stimulus plan, although there were quite a few Republican uh, uh, criticisms of it and resistance to it, but the Democrats were able to push it through. What's in there? Well, I would say there are really two, two big aspects of it. Uh, the the biggest part is, or not the not the biggest in spending, but the most dramatic in policy. Uh, it's a program of debt relief for minority farmers, for black farmers, for Hispanic farmers, for Native American farmers. The justification for this is that they have not gotten a lot of assistance out of the uh, coronavirus aid that has been and the trade aid that were that were pushed by the by the uh, Trump administration. Uh, and of course, they've had troubles for, for really for generations uh, with debt problems, and there are charges of, that USDA has disc- discriminated against them. Um, so that is in there. There is also some assistance to the uh, the uh, the black land grant colleges, and um, and so that's one part of the package. Um, and then the other is uh, the, a, a lengthening of the time in which people would get a 15% increase in the food stamp or SNAP payments. Uh, and there's some other corona, there's some, some other uh, commodity distribution in there too. Uh, but that, but that's really what the package is about. Uh, Republicans argued about uh, wanting some limits on that aid. Is that right? Well, yes, um, the, the the Republicans, uh, and it pa- you know the final bill uh, passed the committee on a party line vote. The Republicans put forward a bunch of amendments. Um, they were, uh, for example, on the debt relief, uh, it would give the farmers, uh, the the minority farmers, 120 percent of what they're of what they owed, and that's to avoid any tax problems. And there was a there was a measure to to pull that back to 100 percent. Uh, some the Republicans argued uh, that this whole program may be discriminatory and and that there is no justification just for helping uh, black farmers, Hispanic farmers, Native American farmers, um, and so uh, they they had those amendments and then there was an amendment to shift the increase in the SNAP benefits to training and education, uh, but the Democrats beat back all of those amendments. 
The uh, one Republican amendment did pass, and that was an amendment to make payments to basically to Iowa farmers uh, who have suffered from the derecho, uh, and that was proposed by Congressman Finstra of, of Iowa, Republican, uh, but Congresswoman Axme uh, uh, voted for it, and she's a Democrat, so that put, put it over the top, and that will be in there now. What about funding for broadband in rural areas? Uh, there may I don't know if that's in the in that I apologize that I that uh, that I don't remember that, but I wouldn't be surprised if there is some funding for broadband in that as well. Mm-hmm. So we'll keep a watch on that. Uh, there were a lot of amendments offered, weren't there? I mean, they took quite a few votes. Uh, several of them were defeated on the, uh, the amendments that were proposed. Oh yes, but and the session lasted incredibly from 2 p.m. until almost 10 p.m. Uh, you know, there was just everybody got a chance to speak, or not just got a chance. They took uh, opportunity to speak, uh, and there was particularly contentious discussion between David Scott, the chairman of the of the committee, who is from Georgia, and Austin Scott, a Republican from Georgia. Uh, so you really had uh, uh, who oppose, who who criticized uh, the aid to the minority farmers. Uh, so it was it was quite the dy- quite the dynamic, um, and um, the Republicans also said they were disappointed in Scott being so partisan and in t- and in uh, following the recommendations of House Speaker Pelosi, uh, although this this project really originated in the Senate with Senator Cory Booker and with the Biden-Harris team. Uh, but uh, at the end, uh, Scott said, this situation is an emergency. This is not going to be typical of how we're going to do business in this committee. Uh, there, he said, there's nobody who's been more bipartisan than I have in all the years I've been on the House Ag Committee. And so you can expect bipartisanship from me in the future. Well, that'll be something to watch, right? I mean, there if you're going to find bipartisanship, you would think you'd find it in the Ag Committee. We'll see if that happens or not. Well, yes, and it will be interesting to see if it happens in the future, especially when they get into these climate discussions, because there's likely to be differences between the Democrats and the, and the Republicans over this. But the other thing is that yesterday the Republican Congressional Campaign Committee announced its list of 47 House members that it wants to target for defeat, I mean, Democrats for defeat in the 2022 election, and 11 of them are on the House Ag Committee. So I think there'll be a lot of partisan uh, differences and uh, drama between the Democrats and the Republicans as the next two years uh, follow on. Yeah, the 2022 campaign is is certainly in full gear right now, that's for sure. Uh, what about uh, when do you expect they'll get to the confirmation of Tom Vilsack and Michael Regan? Well, now, I, because in, you know, next week is President's Day and Congress is going to be out again, so I don't think it's going to be until after, and, until after that. Also, they've got to finish up this impeachment uh, the Senate has to finish up this impeachment trial, so I'm not expecting it until uh, later in the in the month of February. But I would think that that Vilsack would be one of the next uh, next up when they when they do confirm people. But there's been no announcement about a vote on Vilsack. Just shows that even when it's 
pretty much a foregone conclusion they'll be confirmed. It still takes a while. That's right. It's got to be scheduled. Uh, uh, and uh, that's the thing with the, 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 the odd thing with the Senate is that it looks so slow. And then when the Senate decides to do something, it happens like with a snap of the fingers. Uh, because yeah. they, uh, there's only 100 of them compared to the 435 in the House. So they can really act quickly when they want. All right, Jerry. Thanks for the update. Appreciate it. Take care. Yes, you too. Have a good weekend. Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. Up next, we will take a look at uh, some results from the fourth quarter Ag Credit Condition Survey from the Minneapolis Fed. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. So let's start with the latest news concerning a case against ethanol duties in Peru. What can you tell us? The decision there is that they are reversing an earlier decision to impose import duties on U.S. ethanol going into Peru. Peru, as you might know, has been a rapidly emerging market for us over the past several years, and we began to export a fair amount of fuel ethanol to that country, and then they slapped this import tax on us, and it really put the brakes on our exports to that marketplace. So the body that reviewed that tariff and you know, looked at our challenge of that tariff uh, sided with us, and they will be reversing that import tax, and, and that should really reopen that market to our product. We desperately need demand right now, so uh, very excited to hopefully get back into, the, into Peru in, in a big way. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Carbon monoxide is a colorless, odorless gas that can be fatal. Don't use anything indoors that burns fuel, such as gasoline-powered generators, camp stoves and lanterns, or charcoal grills. Opening doors and windows or using fans isn't enough. Have your vents and chimneys checked to make sure water heater and gas furnace exhausts aren't blocked. If you feel sick, dizzy, or weak while using a generator, get to fresh air right away. From the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency. The landscape of media has changed, and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. 
You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. The Federal Reserve Bank of Minneapolis has just released results from its fourth quarter agricultural credit condition survey. Joining us now to go over those numbers, Joe Mann, Regional Outreach Director for the Minneapolis Fed. Joe, thank you for joining us. Uh, I guess as we look at 2020, I'm guessing that a combination of of government payments and a market rally towards the end of the year probably helped uh, the year turn out better than expected. Yeah, hi Mike, and, and thanks for having me on. And, and yeah, you said it. I mean, if if there was a if there was a quick way to summarize what we had in the report, that was it. Uh, we had a we had a, a better than expected end to 2020, and uh, and it was. It looks like uh, aside from also good growing conditions in our region, uh, we also had uh, 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 benefits due to uh, the rally in prices toward the end of the year and the uh, coronavirus food assistance program in particular, in addition to the other ag support programs. What were the other takeaways from this uh, from this survey for the fourth quarter? I guess my takeaways were uh, how uh, surprisingly quick I think conditions had improved at the end of the year. I don't want to be overly uh, optimistic. I think there's still a lot of uncertainty in the near-term outlook, and we can talk about some of those indicators lately or later uh, in our in our in our discussion. Um, <clears throat> But I think the biggest takeaway for me was um, uh, how quickly we saw a reversal. So just to kind of put that in context, uh, and, and our previous survey that we did in the third quarter had a bit of optimism in it too, because we were just starting to see that, that run up in prices uh, really you know, sort of take off in the, um, in, in the period where we conduct the survey. We conduct the surveys after the quarter ends. So when we conducted that survey in October, uh, I think farmers or some of the, the lenders that we surveyed were starting to bake that rally into their uh, into their their views uh, on things how things were going. Uh, but just to put it in context, we had 94% of the the or I'm sorry 96% of the lenders that we surveyed in our region uh, tell us that farm incomes in the fourth quarter of 2020 uh, increased or, or or were steady from uh, from a year earlier relative to the fourth quarter 2019. And we haven't seen that level of, uh, of, 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 uh, of optimism, of good news, uh, in terms of the, the response rate uh, since way back in about 2012, um, where we saw over 90% of lenders saying that incomes increased or were unchanged. And, um, and really the last time we even saw anything over 50%, other than that third quarter survey, was back in uh, 2017, uh, or 20, early 2018. Uh, that we saw that that level of uh, of optimism from the respondents, and really between that uh, that sort of those strong years in 2012, ending in about 2012, uh, until just recently, uh, the, the 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 survey results were pretty downbeat. And I think your listeners are quite familiar with the last few years. Yeah, the I mean, before the rally started, I mean, it seems like the the headlines we were seeing and hearing were about. Uh, farm loan delinquencies and foreclosures and yeah. concerns about rising debt levels. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and, and we do, uh, you know, one of, one of the great things about this survey is because we're talking to, we, we're talking to ag bankers, we do get a read on, uh, on that kind of financial picture. Um, 
and we got uh, we got some indications from them on this kind of improving uh, financial condition. And that's kind of um, where I think the the biggest surprise is for me is not necessarily that incomes increase, which you would expect due to the the uh, the, the the new farm support programs and uh, and due to the rally in prices, um, but the uh, the percentage of lenders. Uh, who told us that uh, the rate of loan repayment had increased. It was nearly half of lenders said that the rate of loan repayment was higher relative to a year earlier. And then almost everyone else said that there was no change in the, in the rate of loan repayment. And that was, again, pretty, pretty marked contrast to what we've seen consistently over the last few years where these lenders are telling us uh, that delinquencies are going up. Um, <clears throat> they're starting to ask for more collateral requirements, uh, uh, refer, refer uh, more loans to credit agencies. Um, and, and, and all that really reversed fairly quickly in, uh, in this fourth quarter, at least according to the results of the, uh, the, at least according to the lenders we surveyed in our region. We're talking with Joe Mann with the Federal Reserve Bank of Minneapolis. And I would guess, Joe, as this rally has continued here into the first part of uh, 2021, that at least gives optimism for how this year is going to go. Yeah, we don't ask for uh, we don't really ask for a lot of um, sort of long term projections in terms of optimism. We um, you know we know how quickly things can change, and so uh, in terms of outlook, we really only ask about their expectations for the next quarter. So again, putting into context that we uh, th- that we surveyed these these bankers in uh, in in January, and we asked them about what they're expecting for Q1 2021, so January through March. Um, <clears throat> 60% of them told us that they that they expected farm incomes to increase relative to Q1 2020, and an additional 31% uh, told us they don't expect uh, any change. They expect uh, uh, flat incomes. Um, only 10% said that they expect incomes to decrease relative to a year earlier. Uh, but that's about as far out as we go in terms of our outlook. Um, we do ask. We did ask uh, kind of a special question about what are their biggest concerns for 2021 as a whole. And what are their biggest concerns? Um, well, the largest uh, the, the largest uh, source of concern that they had, the top concern for 2021, was was commodity price volatility, which is uh, not not too surprising. Uh, we right. gave them a list of things to select from. Uh, given that uh, so much of the, the 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 rebound that we've seen over the last few months is due to a rebound in crop prices, uh, about 40%, just under 40% of the lenders told us that commodity price volatility was their their biggest concern in 2021. After that, uh, the next concern was weather. Naturally enough, you never know what's going to happen um, uh, with that. Uh, and then uh, declining government support. Again, maybe not surprisingly, 11% of our lenders told us that that was their biggest concern for 2021, and still uh, trade agreements and uh, and and uh, and trade issues, uh, tariffs, and the trade war. Um, that was the biggest concern for 13% of of our respondents. So those were really the biggest ones that that the kind of uncertainty around whether these prices that we're seeing right now are going to be sustained. Um, and then, of course, the the usual concerns about growing conditions, and then that kind of government picture, whether or not. Uh, whether or not there's going to be a reversal in uh, in, in farm support programs, and uh, and uh, whether whether we're going to see any improvement in the uh, in the international trade outlook. Kind of a list of the usual suspects there. It sounds like you know, interesting, yeah, Joe. I think it's sort of maybe the more things change, you know, stay the same. That's right. Yeah, yeah, you know, as we look back on, and hopefully we're looking back now on the downturn in the ag economy, and hopefully we're in an upswing now that'll last a while. But looking back. 
you know, there were always questions: uh, were we were we returning to the 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 farm crisis of the 80s, and and were we seeing mm-hmm. a similar pattern? And of course, it was always brought up: well, interest rates are record lows instead of record highs, like they were back then. But another factor through yeah. all that, land values uh, held pretty steady through all that, didn't it? Didn't they? Yeah, they declined somewhat. And I only, um, I didn't write about this in the sort of longer term picture in the survey. We really just kind of focus on kind of the quarter to quarter, year over year changes. Um, but I've done, I've been following the land price picture for a while. And I, and I think you're right. I think, you know, going back to, we'll say 2014, 2015, uh, there was some concern that we'd seen such a, such a steep increase in land values and it looked eerily similar to what we saw in the late 70s, early 80s, prior to the farm crisis, uh, that people were really naturally tempted to take that analogy. But I think one huge difference between, uh, between our recent history and the, the period prior to the farm crisis is we didn't see the increase, at least as much of an increase in leverage by farm households. So what happened really in the, in the farm crisis was that Land values skyrocketed, and farmers were borrowing a lot against uh, against those values to finance uh, to finance uh, operations. Uh, we didn't see those le- rates of leverage increase. We heard a lot anecdotally from lenders that they weren't really uh, that they weren't uh, collateralizing loans against the full uh, against the appraised market value of the land because they weren't sure it was sustainable. Um, so I think that's one reason that uh, that uh, that that farm household finances have remained relatively robust over this period. All right, Joe. Thanks a lot. Very interesting look at uh, the uh, the numbers in your survey, and we'll look forward to talking with you throughout the course of 2021. See how things look this year. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. I look forward to it. All right. Take care, Joe Mann, Regional Outreach Director for the Federal Reserve Bank of Minneapolis with a look at their fourth quarter ag credit condition survey for looking back at 2020. What a year it was. It certainly ended a lot different than it started out. We'll see what happens this year in 2021. So far, for the most part, off to a pretty good start. But uh, as we saw last year, we know how things can change. So we'll keep a close watch. Up next, speaking of things changing, the market situation. What a wild ride this is. We're going to talk it over with Arlen Suderman with StoneX. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Adams on Agriculture prides itself on bringing top leaders in the egg industry right to your radio speakers. AOA wants to continue that conversation right to your fingertips. Follow AOA on Twitter at AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams himself at the handle Mike Adams Egg. You will receive real-time highlights of the show and keep up with which convention or industry meeting AOA is attending. That's AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams Egg. We hope to see you online. Every Tuesday, we'll be sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS. Join us and learn how CHS creates the vital connections that empower agriculture, helping farmers and ranchers like you succeed. We'll hear from different voices from throughout the cooperative system, sharing stories about how good things happen when people work together. Join us around the table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com 
to learn more. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Kirsten Rall. Grains are recovering from sharp overnight losses after futures collapsed on Wednesday, with March plunging nearly 48 cents in about a profit-taking and liquidation. Soybean futures have recovered more than 25 cents above the overnight low on Thursday morning. Many in the trade are a bit perplexed by the soybean market's actions following Tuesday's WASDE report, which featured a near-pipeline ending stock number for the U.S. of just $120 million bushels. On the Board of Trade, March soybeans trading 23 and a half cent higher at 13.77 and a half cent. The May contract up 23 and a quarter at 13.75 and three quarters. March corn trading nine and a half cent higher at 5.44. The May contract up nine and three quarters at 5.42 and a half cent. For the wheats, March Chicago wheat trading six and three quarters higher at 6.42 and a fraction. Kansas City wheat March up eight and a half cent at 6.22 and a half cent. Minneapolis Spring Wheat March up seven and a fraction at 6.26. The May contract up seven at 6.37. Livestock is mixed across the board this morning. Cattle prices are not expected to decline this week, but packers may not be willing to bid higher, leaving prices steady with last week. Hogs continue to trend higher as fundamentals remain bullish. On the Board of Trade, April lean hogs trading 30 cents lower at 81.52. The May contract down 60 at 84.30. For feeder cattle, the March contract up 17 at 139.67. The April contract down 7 cents at 143.42. April live cattle up 47 at 123.17. The June contract down 10 at 119.22. In the outside markets, the Dow is up 84 points. The Nasdaq composite up 73. The S&P 500 up 12. The U.S. dollar is trending lower. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. For the American Ag Network, I'm Kirsten Rall. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed. My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know whether she should go forward or, or turn or just stay at the stop sign. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. She was very concerned. It was very unsettling for her. It's important for you to talk to someone about it, to bring the family in on it. I felt so much better after my son told me, Mom, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. I'll be there for you and we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams been an interesting week with the markets. We've had a lot of uh, reaction and analysis. Want to get some more now from Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist from StoneX. Uh, let's see, Arlen, we get a report out that shows tighter corn and soybean stocks, and the markets viewed it as a, a somewhat negative report, a bearish report. Kind of interesting times we're in right now. 
It really is. What have you done lately for me, Phil? You know, the markets are like the latest uh, college football coach or whatever. If you can't win today, then you're out. Um, but uh, it is the times that we live in. We have an unprecedented amount of money now flowing into the system. And uh, it's really interesting to listen to Jay Powell uh, yesterday who's head of the Federal Reserve, talk about how, yeah, the economy's been resilient, but it's still got a lot of problems. We need to keep interest rates near zero for the next couple of years. We need to keep pumping money into it. Congress needs to go big, uh, and, and uh, we'll back them up with our balance sheet type of a message. Um, and Wall Street sees something totally different. People are flush with cash. We see M1 money supply exploding 78% higher year on, high, year, on year. Um, the velocity of money, the number of times that money circulates through the economy is at the lowest it's been since the 1950s because of the uncertainty and because retirement of the baby boomers are even more cautious. So that money's looking to increase returns. Well, savings accounts certainly don't give the returns. So everyone thinks that they can beat Wall Street, so they're either going to their app to trade or they're going to, uh, uh, they're putting their money in these investment funds and it's flowing into the markets in that way. So we have record high equity prices, uh, the major stock indices, and we're seeing money flow into the commodities. Now it's a two-edged sword, which means that if you get some negative news, you get overbought, you can have these sharp down days. And uh, unfortunately, this amount of money, you're going to have big swings in the market like this, and that's only going to get bigger after March 15th when we increase the position limits on these markets by almost by roughly two-thirds. Yeah, it can, works both ways. can drive prices up and drive them down. I, I thought this was an example this week of managing expectations, right? I mean, the numbers tell, say one thing, but it's the expectations that are really driving which way the markets go. Yeah, and from that standpoint, and producers probably won't like to hear me say this, um, but this may have been good for the market long term, a little bit of sobering up. February is too early for markets to just go to their highs. It's, uh, there's still too much yet to be played out. There's several more chapters of these markets to be written yet. Um, on both sides of the equator from a fundamental standpoint, um, both on the supply and the demand side of this equation. February used to be the crop report that virtually got ignored, and such huge expectations had been put on it by this marketplace that's just wanting to boil over with bullish euphoria and probably good for it in the long run to be brought back down to earth. That pullback in prices allows demand to strengthen its base once again, providing a longer story in the long run. We're talking with Arlen Suderman with StoneX. Now, won't we get more of the same next week? We have the USDA Outlook Conference, and they start projecting what they think like acres are going to be. But those are projections. We don't know that for sure because it is still February. You mean the National Annual Bearish Conference? 
Uh, <laughs> USDA has a tendency to try to kill the markets with that outlook form. These are balance sheets that were developed by analysts sitting in their offices in Washington, D.C. back in October and early November without input from the producer or from the industry. It's simply analysis of numbers, churning numbers and coming out with estimates. Um, and they get played with so much importance every year. We got to talk about them because everybody's talking about them. Uh, but I have yet to see them identify one significant trend before the market already knew about it. They tend to project more of the same and what's going to happen. But it will be interesting to see if you look at the timeline when those were developed. There's a lot that we didn't know about China and a lot that hadn't happened. How will they update those numbers this year to reflect that or not? And uh, it'll probably be very revealing um, on their procedures when we see what they actually release. Yeah, the markets tend to act like those numbers are set in stone for some reason instead of realize or accepting them for what they are. What you just said, you know, just projections and theories at this point until uh, we actually see what happens. Uh, okay, what is happening in South America right now with their harvest? Uh, with Brazil, we're, we're slowly moving forward. Uh, we're basically in single-digit progress for Brazil as a whole, making a little bit, getting into double-digit progress. Uh, uh, I anticipate this week's numbers will start to pick up momentum in Mato Grosso, which is important. We may be a quarter of the soybeans harvested or a little bit better. Uh, that would be way behind normal. Uh, we should see the majority of Mato Grosso harvested by now and much of the safrina corn planted by now. That just simply hasn't happened. Um, but. Uh, we are seeing good yields overall, overall. The early beans were poor as expected because they were planted in very dry soils very early so they could double crop cotton, and, and that was what got harvested first. Um, now we're getting into some of the better stuff. Down in Argentina, we had some good rains and a little bit of a dichotomy here um, because those rains should have been very good for the crops. and. Uh, Yet the crop ratings coming out from the Buenos Aires Grain Exchange showed very poor crop conditions. Yet when you look at the satellite data, it shows some very good crop conditions for Argentina's primary growing, condition, uh, growing areas. And I've been getting some pictures from a producer I've connected with in Argentina uh, this morning showing some tremendous looking corn. The real concern is the next 30 days. We have a, a strong La Nina pattern developing in the upper atmosphere that right now appears to be giving us a hot dry pattern for Argentina, southern Brazil, much of Paraguay for the next 30 days as crops there go through a critical development phase, that could dramatically pull production estimates lower if it holds. I say if it holds because we've seen this before during this growing season, and then after a couple of weeks of it, the pattern flips and you get timely rains to keep those crop ratings up there. But for now, the forecasts do look adversarial, so to speak, for Argentina and southern Brazil and Paraguay for the next 30 days. So we're going to have to keep our eyes on that. So where's our window right now in sales to China? Is it slowly closing, still slightly ajar? Uh, how do you describe it? 
Uh, it is slowly opening. Um, by now, typically, we would have seen maybe 2.5 million metric tons, close to 3 million metric tons move to China. And uh, we're still waiting for the first 1 million metric tons to get shipped at this point. That means China has to keep depending on us. Now, we've had a big progress in harvest this week. It takes three or four days to get to the ports, a few days to load up the boats, and then a 45-day trip across. So that means that stuff harvested now this week won't arrive in China until really the end of March, 1st of April. So to get that flow of boats up to the level needed to supply all of China's needs is going to take until April. means they're going to have to depend on U.S. supplies yet through March, but to slowing amounts. The big thing is we're not seeing rationing and demand show up in either the China buying or the non-China buying, and we've already shipped uh, more soybeans to all destinations. When you look at the seasonal pace we need to hit USDA target, we're almost 400 million bushels above that pace. So that suggests we could run out of soybeans in the United States, especially in some local areas um, this summer. And right now we have some livestock producers really trying to scramble to get coverage on meal needs for the summer, and no one wants to sell it to them. Yeah, all the talk about China's buying certainly important, but the non-China buying has been significant too. It really has been, and that's kept us going. Um, now, all of that business or much of that business is going to be shifting to South America here as the harvest picks up. Keep in mind that the pipeline was extremely dry in Brazil as well, and so domestic markets are going to be absorbing some of that. But what the market's got to do, and, and trade seems to have forgot this, is between now and our harvest, the market has to ration that export demand down, ration down domestic demand. We'll probably see the export number be forced up because of what we've already shipped. Domestic demand's got to drop, and that's going to take prices to make that happen. And then prices have to pay for imports into the United States flowing north out of Brazil and south out of Canada. The, the latter will be easier than the first. A lot of moving parts right now. There really is. There's going to be a lot of volatility. As I look at my balance sheets through the 21-22 marketing year, they stay tight both domestically and globally, which means a lot of volatility for the next year and a half until or unless we see a bumper crop on one side of the equator or the other. All right. As always, Arlen, thanks for your perspective. We'll see what uh, comes out of that USDA Outlook Conference next week. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mike. Great to talk. All right. Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for Stone X. Up next, we're going to check in with Michael Newland with the Propane Education Research Council. Take a look at propane supplies, distribution, prices, all that coming up next. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Mm -mm. Text and catch the bus. 
Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. <clears throat> Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. <sighs> Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. You took the first step and quit smoking. But even former smokers may still be at risk for lung cancer. That's why SaveByTheScan.org wants you to know about a new low-dose CT scan that can detect lung cancer early. It takes only 60 seconds and could save your life. You took the first step, now take the next. Visit SaveByTheScan.org for a simple quiz to see if you're eligible and talk to your doctor about screening. SaveByTheScan.org is brought to you by the American Lung Association's Lung Force Initiative and the Ad Council. Adams on Agriculture. Conversations with policymakers, the movers and shakers in the ag industry, the pros and cons of issues important to you, cutting through the spin to get to the heart of a topic and giving you the information you need to know. Every weekday, Mike Adams brings you guests important to the ag industry. It's quite simply information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. What kitchen gadget is so essential to food safety that no home should be without it? I'm registered dietitian nutritionist Toby Smithson. A food thermometer isn't just for meat and poultry. It will help you avoid food poisoning from egg dishes, casseroles, and leftovers by ensuring they're fully cooked by reaching a safe minimum internal temperature. Heat leftovers and casseroles to at least 165 degrees and egg dishes to at least 160 degrees. You'll find more food safety tips at homefoodsafety.org. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, the latest numbers for January are now out, and joining us with those numbers is Purdue Ag Economist Michael Langmeyer. Michael, thanks for joining us. I am surprised that the January numbers are down, considering the fact that market prices have been up. If you look at the Ag Economy barometer in January, it, it stood at 167. That compares to a value of 183 in October, and I'll talk about why I think it's lower today compared to October, even though prices have continued to increase. Uh, the current index is, is identical to what it was last January before COVID hit. So that, that's kind of interesting, I think. 
But the main reason why the January uh, index is, is lower than October is related to is related to the index of future expectations. The index of current conditions remains at relatively high levels because of the strong prices, particularly corn and soybean, but also wheat and other commodities. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Andrew Saul, Commissioner of Social Security. Beware of telephone scammers pretending to be government employees. Real Social Security employees will never threaten you. Call is threatening you with arrest or other legal action and demanding money are not from us. If you receive a call like this, hang up, do not provide them with any form of payment or information, report the call at oig.ssa.gov. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. It has been a while since we've talked with Michael Newland, the Director of Ag Business Development for the Propane Education and Research Council. He joins us now. Michael, good to talk with you again. Uh, just wanted to get an update. Where are we right now with propane supplies? Hey, Mike, good afternoon. Or actually, good morning, I guess, still. So good to be back with you. Yeah, so uh, some chatter in the marketplace over the last couple weeks here as we've gotten cold across the big chunk of the Midwest on supply. So I appreciate you reaching out and giving us a chance to, to talk a little bit about what's happening. Um, I guess some things I want to talk just about supply is we've got um, – uh, gosh, near record production. So if you look at our industry from 2013 to t- till today, we're, we're more than double the production on propane supply that, that we uh, were producing back just as recently as 2013. So I think that's a good story. Um, you know, supply, though, is a, is a local conversation. So if you're having trouble getting it locally, that doesn't much matter what we've got in the country. But I will give you some countrywide statistics. So uh, the U.S. Department of Energy just on the 5th of February, so just a couple weeks ago, said we had 28, almost 29 days of supply of propane in storage. Uh, that's a great number because we every day we produce more than we use domestically and export. So that that's a number that's building, you know, in, in situations like this where it's so cold across the big chunk of the country, you know, we're probably at a, at a break even. So our 28-day supply is probably holding pretty steady and we track that week to week. So, you know, we did see a run-up on price in the last 30 to 40 days. Uh, it looks like that's leveled out a little bit. Uh, we track that as well. And, um, you know, so I, I guess I guess the good news is we're having this conversation and this cold snap in the middle of February instead of in the middle of December where we had much more of winter to, to, uh, to navigate. Right. And, of course, the other challenge in some places with a lot of snow and uh, bad road conditions, getting the truck to people, especially for home heating right now, that can be a challenge. It is. And, uh, you know, anything you can do at the farm or at the house to um, give that driver a clean path to the tank, it's a big benefit, and I know they appreciate that greatly. But, you know, we are still fighting some COVID um, uh, concerns from time to time. You hear of a, you know, a transport company or a local 
uh, propane supplier that's having uh, an outbreak within their drivers. So, uh, yeah, like I said, we've seen some issues like that across the, across the winter. The good news is the industry typically steps up, and uh, we're even seeing competitors help competitors uh, make some of those final deliveries and make sure folks have their needs uh, fulfilled. That is interesting. I guess I really hadn't thought about that. I mean, we've looked at so many different aspects of our lives impacted by COVID, but certainly that would be one there. You have the the drivers uh, to get those trucks out to uh, the farms and homes that need the propane. That's exactly right. And like I said, and you brought up a good point. Um, so, you know, like I think we've talked before on, on previous conversations, you know, all this gas comes to us, uh, comes to your local area through a transport truck, most likely, and then gets delivered on. So, um, you know, we are seeing some uh, hours of service waivers by state. So we, we know that there's a big pull on our supply in certain areas, and uh, those guys are limited in the number of hours they can drive. Uh, so we are seeing some hours of service waivers that are being issued. So we know that the transports are running harder than maybe in a typical fall, or I'm sorry, winter. Um, you know, we, we see that a lot in the fall for grain drying, but uh, right now with this uh, extreme cold weather that's embedded, uh, we are seeing a, a fairly significant pull in the center of the country. You talked about being enough production. How has that changed over the last few years? It wasn't that long ago we were talking about, you know, real challenges, uh, not so much of uh, supply, but distribution, but still challenges. How have we uh, progressed in the last few years on that? Yeah, so so most most of the propane uh, comes from natural gas production and then the oil refining. So as we've as we pushed our energy independence here in the U.S., um, that also is driving the propane supply up as well. So, you know, it's benefiting our industry and our customers. Um, supply is becoming pretty pretty um, abundant. You know, the one thing that you will if folks really study our, our industry, we do export a significant amount of propane, you know, and people and in, in when things get a little tight wonder why we do that. Well, it's like every other commodity that, that uh, folks are familiar with, you know, those exports really take the peaks and valleys out of, uh, out of a big supply issue. So, you know, we're seeing uh, just in the last couple of weeks here, um, exports have slowed uh, considerably, or I'll say a little bit, uh, you know, trying to keep a little bit more of that fuel here and making sure folks are in a good spot as, uh, as we're trying to get through the balance of winter. So with all the, the talk about climate policies and energy issues, how do you see this playing out and, and impacting the propane industry? Well, you know, uh, we talk a lot about that right now, uh, and we, we think we're in a great spot to be honest with you, with some of the new uh, legislation coming down the road. We just need to make sure propane has a, has a seat at the table and a voice at that discussion. And uh, our fuel is incredibly clean. It's abundant. Uh, from an environmental standpoint, we are uh, incredibly safe. You know, we, the folks that are using our fuel today don't have to have containment issues around the farm, around our tanks at least. They do around their diesel and their gasoline tanks, but they don't have to have it around their propane tanks. It's non-toxic to the soil, to the environment, to people, to animals. So, you know, and, and best of all, it burns cleaner than the other fuels on the farm too. So we're looking for ways to expand the use of propane on the farm, to be honest with you. Uh, we think some of those some of those policies could benefit us down the road, and we're looking for opportunities to maybe bring new technology to folks that are listening today. As you said, well, 
wanting a seat at the table. Uh, that's what everybody seems to be looking for, and that table seems to get bigger and bigger all the time, so hopefully you can find <laughs> that seat as we move forward. Mike, good to talk with you. Thanks a lot. Absolutely. Anytime, Mike. Thank you. Take care. Michael Newland, he is the Director of Ag Business Development for the Propane Education and Research Council. With that, we wrap it up for today. Stay warm, everyone. Stay safe. Thanks for joining us. Be with us again tomorrow if you can, right here on AOA. AOA.